Good morning, everyone. I trust that everyone is being well and healthy in these days. Our scripture today is taken from Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitam, and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were dread, were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Puah, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them at the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, let's join together with brothers and sisters around the world and through the centuries as we stand and confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to hear from your word, the living word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, I confess that I have sinned, I have fallen. Lord, we cling to you. We look to you for mercy and grace. We thank you that you forgive us, that you redeem us, that you save us. Lord, we celebrate you today. And may we see your gospel, your salvation, so alive and at work in our text today, as well as in our lives and in our world. Lord, we look to you. Speak to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We're starting a new series on the book of Exodus. I've mentioned this already. This is the second book of the Bible. It comes with the Greek noun Exodus, meaning departure or going out. It's all about God bringing Israel out of Egypt. And the overarching theme is a continuation from, from Genesis. At humanity's fall in the garden, God makes a promise that from Eve's line, a son of man will crush the serpent's head. And that story is unfolding as we're exploring now Adam and Eve's descendants. And so you get this emphasis on who begat who, whose son came from who, and the family line, the genealogy. That's important because we're tracing God's promise that he will bring someone through this family line who will bring salvation and blessing to the nations. What, what happens instead, we see time and time again, people turn to evil and eventually God chooses to work out his promises through one family, through Abraham and his descendants, that through them, all the nations will be blessed and God is bringing his blessing and his reign into the world. So we're following again the story of this family from Adam and Eve through to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and then to Joseph, who rescues his family out of famine and leads them back into Egypt under the care of his friend, who is the Egyptian pharaoh. And they live there with joy and continue to grow as a family. And now we pick up our text here in Exodus 1. It's been some time. We're picking up the story again. And now we are finding that... Uh, uh, there's some things that need to happen. God is now rescuing his family. He's bringing his purposes to pass. And when everything seems impossible, we find that God is still committed to blessing the nations and restoring his presence, even though his people now are in slavery. So God is acting. He's fulfilling his promises. He's working through Abraham's offspring. And this is all about God keeping this family alive, keeping the offspring alive, the one who will be the one to crush the serpent's head and bring life. Now you can imagine that the enemies of God want to see this family destroyed because it's through this people that God himself will come in Jesus Christ. 
That's the overarching idea as we're following this family, following this nation and what God wants to do in them and through them. Now, Exodus applies to our lives in all sorts of ways, and we're going to be exploring that. But the key is this, perhaps. This is the first place in the Bible where we start to hear the words redemption and salvation. This idea of God rescuing his people, saving them from danger. And just as God is going to come and rescue and redeem and save Israel in our in our text in Exodus, so too through Jesus, he has come to redeem and to save you by dying on the cross for your sins. He's made a way for you to be forgiven and to be set free from evil, to follow him as the one who rescues us and delivers us back to God forever. So, that, so let's jump right into Exodus chapter 1. Exodus 1, 1 to 7. I'm just grabbing my Bible. Now notice Right away, we get some really familiar language. I'm not in the right spot. This is just like on a Sunday morning. Notice right away, Exodus 1, we get, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. We're getting this emphasis on who came and the family line that came. Then notice verse 6. Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. So some time is passing. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. They are fruitful and they multiplied. What does that sound like, right? This is a direct reference back to what God calls Adam and Eve to do in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So we're getting told here, beginning of Exodus, that the mission, the human project that God has started is being fulfilled. There's been brokenness and sin and failure along the way, and yet God's people are being fruitful, are increasing, they're multiplying and growing. And so we're seeing God's blessing at work, God's uh, promise and provision, even in the midst of human failure, God is still bringing things to pass. The mission still going forward. God's redemptive plan is still going forward. And this human flourishing had some real sort of socioeconomic implications, right? We, we read in verse 7, the land was filled with them. They were everywhere. Uh, one time when, when Sarah and I were uh, living in Vancouver, we, we took the bus down to Richmond, took the SkyTrain down to Richmond, and uh, we were doing some shopping and we were in a shopping mall and went up to the to you know where the food court was. We're sitting there eating and we looked around and we kind of looked at each other and realized we're the only Caucasian people in this whole food court, right? It, we're we're outnumbered, you know. It's people from other nations everywhere, and you know, being from Dryden where we don't really experience that a whole lot, it was a bit like, oh my goodness, we're in it. This is you know, we're in a city. This is different. But what? Uh, what so stood out to me was just this reality of a different people group and, and how that affects other people groups, how we think about that. Their presence, Israel's presence, I mean, it was kind of hilarious because we're, you know, we're like, wait a minute, do we, do we miss the memo or something? That's just the change in demographics on the West Coast. Here we find a change in demographics for Egypt. Their presence, Israel's presence began to change the demographics of Egypt. Uh, 
And so this fruitfulness and blessing and provision of God is what actually leads to matters taking a turn for the worse. Take a look now at verse 8, 8 to 14. We read about Pharaoh. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So a king is, has now risen. Time has passed. And now we have a new pharaoh who does not know Joseph. And that initial camaraderie between the royal house and Israel and the family that had existed between Joseph, right, and, and the previous pharaoh, that has ran its course. It probably lasted a generation or so. We don't know exactly. But at some point, the goodwill ran out. And the king of Egypt looks around and, and he is in fear. There's too many of them. Too many of Israelites. And he says, let's deal shrewdly with them. Now notice, it's not just the fear of them rising against Egypt, right? One, one fear is they're going to join forces with our enemies and overthrow us. But he's, he's worried about the threat of them also leaving Egypt. See, Pharaoh has a plan already at this point, and he wants a labor force. And so he says, hey, I can eliminate the birth rate problem because they're growing out of control. And I can also build myself these supply cities and I will work them as slaves. And so verse 11 says, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens and they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. And so Pharaoh, notice Pharaoh is in fear of losing control. In his prosperity, he's already catastrophizing how someone might rise against him. And he's, he's consumed with his own greed and his own pride. He's afraid of losing control. And folks, you know, it's one thing to, to look at someone else and go, oh yeah, that's Pharaoh, all right. But man, sometimes we struggle with this too. It's so often we can be consumed with our own agendas and our own desires. And sometimes those are good, but sometimes we fall into selfishness and into greed and into pride or into envy. And that's what happens here with Pharaoh. So he puts his plan into effect. He sets the taskmasters over them with heavy burdens. And now verse 12, pay close attention here. Verse 12 says, the, but the more they were oppressed, meaning Israel. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. The more they were oppressed, the more they grew, the more they spread. Pharaoh tries to persecute them with slave labor, and God continues to bless them. I want to make two quick points about this. The first is, is personal point. The same is true in your life and in my life today. The experiences of pain and suffering that we experience can actually cause us to come to God. 
It's in the moments where we have been inflicted, where we are weak, that we realize how much we need Jesus. It's in the moments that I feel overwhelmed with life, in the moments where I feel grief-stricken about my sin, in the moments where I feel like I'm, I'm failing as a husband or as a father. That's when I call out to God. That's when I need to be reassured of his grace and his hope. It's in the moments of oppression that I remember I'm not God. I'm not the God of my own life. I need him to ransom me. I need him to set me free from this. I need him to lead me and to guide me in my own life. I remember when being so filled with worry and fear when we got the news of Noah, our son, our second son, Noah, when we found out that he had Down syndrome and just not knowing what that would mean for him, how, how sick, what other complications would there be? Would he need heart surgery right away, which is often the case? How long would he live for? All of these intense questions agonizing over my children and over Noah. And I remember going home after he was born, Sarah in the hospital and going home either the day or second day, just going home to get some things and having a shower and just crying out to God in anger and in sadness. Why would he let this happen? Why would he allow this brokenness to happen? This sense of of brokenness, not that Noah was broken, but the sense of brokenness of life was going in one direction. And now suddenly I have a son who may have, may have such, there may be such hardship for him. And as a parent having to come to grips with that. And yet folks, God was so faithful and he's been so good to us. Not only has Noah been really great, but God has, has opened up this compassion and this empathy in our own lives and in the lives of our family. And it's it's caused us to get to know others who have children with different needs and so on. Folks, God uses our weakness and our brokenness to bring life. And here as Egypt is oppressing Israel, they are continuing to multiply. They're continuing to experience God's blessing. It's in the, 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 the valleys, the brokenness, the dangers, the darkness of life that we become so aware of our need for God and we also see and experience his life-giving presence in our lives. I have experienced that personally. I know many of you have as well. Here's the second point I want to make. So not only does this also happen personally where when we experience hardship, God also uses it for blessing and for his glory. But the second point, again, very quickly, is this is also true of the church as a body. Tertullian uh, said, this is a early Christian writer, said it's the blood of the martyrs that is the seed of the church. And that has been true all through church history. It's as the people of God have encountered and endured persecution that the faith of the church grows and the message of the gospel is embraced. As hardship comes, People can lean more into Jesus and we find God faithful. And I encourage you with that word this morning. Verse 13, what happens? Egypt ups the ante. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You know, it's a big deal when the author says it twice. This is, it's terrible. And so in response 
to the plan not succeeding at first, Pharaoh doubles down on his plan. The violence increases. The labor increases. They are suffering terribly. We don't know for how long, but we know it went on long enough that they were building these cities. Pharaoh is by far the worst character in the Bible uh, as of yet in the story. And his oppression of God's people, folks, it reflects the agenda of our enemy. You have an enemy. Satan's goal is to keep you in bondage and in addiction and in sin. And anything that will cause fear and cause destruction. You might be listening to this right now and be enslaved to something, some addiction, some behavior that you know is not from God. And the Holy Spirit might be convicting you right now. You are being enslaved to this. Friends, there's hope for you. God rescued the Israelites, and so too Christ has come to break the bondage in your life and to bring you out of any addictions or any sinfulness and into new life, and he can do that even today for you, friend. And all it requires is surrendering and giving him our lives, saying, Jesus, come and heal me and forgive me. I need a new life, a clean slate in you. Now, verse 15 to 22. The king of Egypt summons two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, and he invites them in. Notice that they are named. Notice this. They get names. Never in this account does Pharaoh get a name, but the midwives are honored and named. Now, think for a moment. What do we know about naming in the biblical story so far. It reminds me of what Adam does in Genesis. It connotes a sense of creation. As Adam is naming the creatures, uh, they're giving identity and purpose and order. All this happens as we name. And here the Hebrew midwives are named. They're going to be significant, whereas Pharaoh is non-named. He is a force that is opposed to the creative forces of God, the creative purposes of God. And so we have the named midwives versus the unnamed, powerful Pharaoh who pretends that he is a god himself versus these midwives. Imagine the contrast, the picture here. And Pharaoh tells them, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, you see them on the birth stool. If it's a son, you should kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. This is the complete opposite, folks of God's creative love. This is now open, intentional destruction of innocent human life. Pharaoh has moved beyond just keeping the birth rate in check to the intentional eradication of these people. Folks, it's nothing short, really, of governmental, state-enforced, and uh, celebrated infanticide. And if they'd had the medical wherewithal that we do today, they would certainly have killed the child in the womb. It's a prime example of the depth of human evil, and it illustrates Pharaoh as the monster that he is. It also shows the threat, again, to God's plan to bring about redemption through the air, through a son. Uh, And the promise of Abraham are now being directly attacked through the forces of Pharaoh. Throughout the story, 
we find Israel uh, is going to be delivered from Egypt. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know, Israel will get delivered out of Egypt and out of the slavery. But what happens after that is that Egypt still needs to be rooted out of people's hearts. It's one thing to to be geographically removed from a land. It's almost like the more difficult task um, is, is learning to relinquish the spiritual slavery to Egypt's ways. People tend to go back against God because of our human evil. And I wonder, as a Canadian today, in 2020, how much we have become like a modern-day Egypt where we have returned as a nation to embrace and condone the same sort of evil that Pharaoh condones here. Our nation not only endorses the destruction of innocent life, but funds and celebrates it. The murdering of innocent children is satanic to the core. And those that condone such practices are complicit. Jesus says in the Gospels that anyone who leads a child away, it would be better if a stone were tied around their neck and then be thrown into the sea. It's a good warning for us as parents and as ministry leaders to care well and love well and protect well our children. But what of those who do not even allow a child the right to live? The most anti-Christ thing about this is we don't just condone it anymore. It's celebrated murder, folks. It's couched in the language of human rights to make it sound uh, worth celebrating. But I want to say, as a pastor this morning and as a Christian, that the pro-death culture of our Canadian abortion mills breaks God's heart. And the mission field, folks, is not out there. You don't need to go off to some other country to confront the powers of evil and to call people back to Christ. Folks, the need is right here in our own backyard. We've been planted by God right here in the heart of what is essentially now a secular nation. And we need to open our eyes, folks. The harvest is not just out there. It's, it's right here. And God has called us to be a missional presence, a light on the hill, a a loving and grace-filled, but also truth-speaking people towards the anti-Christ systems of Babylon and Rome and Egypt that we find reinvented right here in Canada. And our hearts cry out against this injustice and the millions that have perished. And I have such hope that God in the end will bring his justice to bear for those who have been killed. But we should, be, we should be in a mode, church of repentance. Lord, have mercy upon us for where we have come. These midwives encounter a choice, and it's the pattern of the choice that all followers of Jesus will face. Do we go along with the culture that is radically opposed to Christ, or do we remain faithful to God? And if forced to choose, what will it be? Our well-being or our Lord. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. 
The midwives have encountered the king of Egypt, likely very imposing, considered himself divine, considered himself like a god. And here's these midwives choosing their faith in God over a fear of Pharaoh. Now, friends, we're called to respect our authorities. We're called to obey and we're called to pray for our leaders. Absolutely. But if it comes down to a command that explicitly goes against God, I will tell you right now, I will be committing treason. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that identity goes deeper than my Canadian identity. If I have to choose between being a Canadian and being a Christian, I choose Christ. When you're baptized, you're declaring your allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. The faith of the midwives in God is greater than any fear of Pharaoh. And their courage saves the lives of this whole people. You know, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus from Matthew 10, 28, where he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Their faith and hope was in God, loyal to him first, whatever would happen to them. And notice this, all of God's purposes, his overarching plan of redemption and salvation, this whole plan that's going to be of saving his people, bringing them out of Egypt into a land, into a nation, and eventually a king, and eventually Jesus coming, the one who will crush the serpent's head, the one through whom salvation will be extended to the nations, calling all of creation back to God, calling all who will believe to repent and to come to faith. All of that, all of that whole plan, all that purpose is enacted and brought forward here by two ordinary people, two midwives living for God. These two midwives live out and declare the truth of God, bringing about the birth of a new nation. And I'm reminded of the women on Easter morning who live out and declare the truth of the risen Christ as he is bringing to birth a new creation. God's purposes are being accomplished here in and through ordinary people. Exodus 1 is all about how ordinary people can make a huge difference in God's plans and purposes. And I want to tell you this morning, you have a role to play in God's plans and purposes. He invites you to put your faith in him and to live for him. I'm reminded of one of my favorite scenes from the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf encourages Frodo who's downcast about what's happened in his life. And he says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Friends, how will we live in this time? How will we choose to live our lives? Some of us may not be forced with the dramatic encounter we find here between the midwives and Pharaoh, but we all have the choice every day to choose to go along with the culture, to choose not to follow Jesus or to live for him. And my prayer is that if you're a disciple of Christ this morning, you are encouraged, you are, uh, maybe we're convicted, 
But I challenge you to pour yourself into your life with Jesus. Give it your all. Make him first and foremost in your life. The king of Egypt, when he discovers the midwives, don't follow through with this, calls them and he says, why have you done this? Why have you let them live? And the midwives say to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, we might assume they're lying. We don't really know. They may be telling the truth here. When when we had Willem, um, the, he was born before the doctor came. This this happens, right? Um, the nurse looked and, and called out to the other nurse, nurse, phone duly. And so they were phoning the doctor and Sarah was ready to go and the nurse caught Will. And the, the doctor came in the door washing his hands and he was, this is just hilarious. This is great. He's like, Sarah, you weren't kidding when he said he was going to come quick. And he was like, okay, here we go. And off they went. Okay. Here. But the nurse caught him, right? So it could be the midwives are telling the truth. These women, they just, they push, the baby comes. We don't get there in time. Um, sometimes I imagine though the midwives are just like, just outside the door, like, well, we're not, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> you know, we, we weren't there in time to find out. Um, my cousin had a baby in her own home, right on the, I think it was right on the stairs. She almost started. So they finally got her down to the living room floor and like um, the baby's dad caught the baby. Like, you know, he delivered his own child. It was like a movie. They phoned the midwives. The midwives were stuck in traffic. This was in Winnipeg. And so, you know, they ended up phoning like the paramedics and fire guys, everyone, at one point, everyone in all of their like regalia full, you know, coming to the rescue all showed up to come help the baby, right? Dad's already got the baby. It's a great story. Should really, should really be a movie. So we don't really know, you know, are the midwives stretching the truth? I, I don't know. I don't think that's the emphasis the text is going for here. What we do find in verse 20 is that God dealt well with the midwives for not following Pharaoh's orders. The people continued to grow very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God is blessing them for their faithfulness. Awesome. And then we get this turning point right at the end. Verse 22, Pharaoh turns up the heat one more time. We've gone from workforce to slave labor to endorsing infanticide through the midwives. And then he commands all his people Every son that's born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I want to remind you again, the water in many of these Old Testament passages is almost this image of the primordial chaos and death. It's the place of anti-creation. It's like the watery chaos in Genesis 1. The spirit is brooding over, keeping in check, but also ready to bring life out of. We think also of Noah's flood is a recreation moment through water. Water's destructive, right? And now here Pharaoh threatens the offspring of Eve and the heir of the promise of Abraham's line to the watery, uncreation chaos of the Nile. And so the first chapter ends, the board is set, the pieces are moving, Pharaoh has not relented, but even here God is showing his faithfulness again and again. And as we see the story unfold, God has a powerful, redemptive plan at work to rescue his people. And we see here this moment, the great courage of the midwives, which is going to lead directly into next week when we talk about chapter two and the birth of Moses. As we wrap this up, I want to ask a few questions. Where are you this morning? Are you in a place 
a feeling in bondage like Israel. And if that's the case, I invite you to come to Jesus today. Let him deliver you out of sin and out of death and into new life, forgiven and made clean. Are you facing suffering? Are you facing Pharaoh? Do you need an increase in courage, in faithfulness, like these midwives had courage in the face of adversity in God? Maybe you need a, a, an infilling of Holy Spirit courage this morning. Notice that the Israelites are facing economic and political and social slavery, as well as a, a spiritual slavery. And many of us have not experienced political or economical or social slavery, but we've all experienced spiritual slavery. We all need spiritual deliverance. We all need to be freed from sin and from the oppressive powers of the enemy. We all need to be made new in Christ. And we're called as disciples to seek the well-being of our neighbors. As a redeemed people, we need to care as God cares for his people, both the urgent spiritual needs of people as well as the social and physical needs of people. And we're to proclaim the gospel, but also not neglect, not neglect the acts of mercy and justice for others that God calls us to. And so as Christians, we need to be concerned not just with people's spiritual well-being, but we also need to care for the poor and care for the, the temporal daily needs of people as well as their eternal destiny. Where are you today? Are you feeling oppressed? Are you needing courage? And are you needing to be reminded of the mission, our mission to care both for the, for the social and, and uh, justice and mercy needs of people as well as their spiritual condition? Let's come to Jesus today and ask him to bring his salvation and his hope to bear in our lives and to give us courage in the face of evil. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come to deliver us and to set us free. Lord, this morning we are aware, made aware of our human evil, our ability to turn uh, away from your love and your grace in how we treat people. Pharaoh is a prime example of this going so far. And Lord, we're also given a, a uh, an example in these midwives of you caring for people through ordinary uh, folks, ordinary people who you call to extend your grace, to extend your mercy, to stand up and be faithful in difficult times. And I just pray over us this morning that you would cause us to be a faithful people we don't need to be superheroes. We don't need to be extra anything, but other than to live faithfully for you, Lord, for you to do that work in our lives. Lord, we are ordinary folk, and yet you call us to the extraordinary mission of living for you, Jesus, and proclaiming your gospel and caring for those around us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the needs around us, especially during this time. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting. We pray for those who feel that they are in bondage, those who are in bondage. Lord, we pray for those who are in addictions. We pray for those who feel they're, they're stuck in broken family situations and broken marriages. Jesus, we pray that you would cause your people 
to rise up in prayer and in repentance and in faith to live out the glory and the grace and the love of your gospel. And Jesus, I pray that you would do a work in our city and in our nation and bring many to faith. Lord, would you heal bodies? Would you mend marriages? Lord, would you save souls? Would you call people to yourself? And Lord, I pray for for those who are struggling today, facing real challenges, would you encourage us? Give us wisdom as you gave to these midwives. Give us favor before those who would seek to ruin us. Lord, give us grace towards those who don't know you and don't see you. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and remind us that even in the difficulty, you can bring blessing and hope and life. Lord, we look to you as the source of our life today. We thank you that you hear us in our brokenness, that you heard Israel in her slavery, and you hear us as we are bound to sin, and you've come to free and redeem us through your son. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and I pray a blessing over each and every one who's been able to take part in this service. Go with them, we pray. In your name, amen.